1: Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog podcast. My name is Luke. I'm here with my good friend and co-host Panos. And tonight we have the pleasure of welcoming back to the podcast, actually for the second time, Miss Narelle Cook. Thank you for coming.
2: Hello. Yeah, it's been a while. I don't even remember when I was on.
1: Maybe like two, uh-huh. almost two years, I
0: guess. I think two yeah. years ago. Yes. Well, happy new year to everybody because we have to say that. Happy new year. To all our listeners. Um it's so good to have you back on. I'm sure that there's going to be a little bit of crossover of of um, some of the things that we discussed last time. Try not to do too much. Um, you guys can listen back to the episode we had with Real because it was a real solid one. However, science updates and changes every 20 seconds, so you know, advice that you hear two years ago could be different to today. So I think that's a real thing.
2: And our own personal knowledge changes. Like you know, I've like the last two years have been phenomenal for growth and development for me. So you know, we're always evolving. We're always learning. Um, if yeah, what's the saying? If you stop learning, you're dead, or
1: exactly, <laughs> yeah. If you're not growing, you're dying. You're basically. dying, basically. Now, so, yeah. re- remind me, w- last time you were on, was the canine suticals business already up and running then? No, Or was it in development, wasn't it? I think it
2: was in my brain,
1: in your brain. That, that okay. was it, yeah. yeah. Right. And then it's since now gone out into the wide world. Um, so I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that. So, wh- why don't we start there? Tell us, tell us a little bit about the the um the business and how it's going
2: so uh, australia day last year so 26 of jan is when i officially launched canine so that's my premium human grade supplement range just for dogs and it's been going gangbusters it's just been a full-on year and the reason um i wouldn't have spoken about this last time the reason i created canine ceuticals was because one of my french bulldogs had a really severe spinal injury and needed you know pretty intense Uh, Rehab, And, you know, I had to look at her diet. I had to look at her supplementation. We were told she'd never walk again. um, And all these other issues that she would never get over, the vets and the surgeons said, look, you're better off just putting her down because it's just going to be too hard for you to manage that level of um, sort of disability in a dog. And Glenn and I were pretty stubborn, both of us. And, you know, Glenn with his training knowledge and his behavior knowledge and me with my nutrition knowledge like, let's do this. And when I started to look around at what supplements, you know, I could give Ladybug to support her needs. I was just a bit shocked when I was looking at dog specific supplements and I'm like, oh, like I don't trust the quality. You know, why are they putting this ingredient in there? Why are there all these artificial things in there? Like she's so compromised. She needs the best. And then I'm like, "Mm, okay, I can, I can do this myself. And that's like a really condensed version, but literally the passion and the drive came from not being able to find what I needed for my own dog and just you know see a need fill a need I can do this better and I can support the health of not just my dog but other people's dogs when they're suffering as well so it was massive undertaking um, trying to figure it all out but it's happened and I've just had really great support by pet owners I've got a lot of vets who um, buy the range and recommend the range to their clients so that's a huge um, you know thing for me to have vets support even on my side i've done trade shows during the year like the dog lover show and the vet expo things like that so really yeah really great
0: that's so cool and um and how long has it been now about a year did you say almost a year
2: it'll be australia day was it last year
0: yeah wow and like one of my questions was like how do you determine a good or a bad quality supplement and even somebody like yourself that couldn't determine that how could obviously besides Looking at canine pharmaceuticals because I believe in it, I use it for my dogs and um some, some of the products. But let's just say if you're somewhere that can't get canine pharmaceuticals, how do you know what to look for and things like that?
2: Well, that's the unfortunate thing because often it's not obvious. And you know, the average pet owner wouldn't be able to really distinguish what's good and what's not so good. But first and foremost, I think people should be looking for companies that claim to use human-grade ingredients because the regulations around how those ingredients are manufactured is, you know, quite a strict quality control standard. Whereas anything that's considered animal grade or feed grade, um, like not that anything goes, but pretty close to anything goes in terms of quality. So that's sort of my first um, thing that I would look for. And then I guess, you know, the less artificial colours and flavours and preservatives in my mind is always a good thing. Um, not really needed in most instances, but usually added just to, you know, make things look better and taste better and, you know, longer shelf life and things like that. But if you've got a dog that's compromised with its health, they're not doing your dog any favors. So the canine range, we don't have anything artificial in our products. And probably one that is tricky for consumers is the form of um, any synthetic vitamins and minerals that might be added. So you know, are they highly bioavailable forms or are they poorly bioavailable forms? Because most animal supplements will use the cheap, cheaper versions, which don't get absorbed as well. So your dog's not actually getting what you think they're going to get from that regard as well.
0: Yeah, wow. That's craziness. And in that time, I guess you got like how many products do you cover in canine currently?
2: Oh gosh, I should know this absolutely off the top of my head. I think I've got 21 products, but that includes wow. the canine range. And I also stock, um, the Vet Activate range, so they're a separate company, but I do everything right in my book, so I've got some of their products that I support and sell as well.
0: And how does somebody know if they should be supplementing their dog?
2: Good question. There are certain supplements that I think dogs were, like every dog should just be on and would benefit from, Um, So maybe if we sort of touch on those first. Yes, definitely. So, um, you know, something like, well, let me pull it back. Omega-3 fats, fundamental for human health, fundamental for dog health. You know, a lot of dogs are on a kibble-fed diet these days, and kibbles are disproportionately high in omega-6 fatty acids, and that's coming in through all of the vegetable oils, you know, safflower, sunflower, uh, corn oil, things like that. But omega-6 fats, you know, in excess are very pro-inflammatory in the body. So, you know, dogs, most dogs are on a diet that's pro-inflammatory. And over time and years, that's where you tend to see, you know, disease development and degenerative diseases sort of as they age. So counterbalancing that with an omega-3 source, and my go-to is Antenol Rapid for my dog clients, um, I think is hugely important. The other great thing about omega-3 fats is, you know, the research shows that, um giving omega 3 fats to say pregnant bitches and puppies can increase uh, trainability and cognition of pups so as wow. a trainer
1: well, that's like, always so, good
2: yeah who doesn't want that because you know <laughs> omega 3 fats are so fundamental to neurological development so when the mother is getting enough of those good fats and then the puppies are getting enough of those good fats um absolutely it improves their trainability um and behavior and i was actually lucky enough with our, our new Roddy pup, he doesn't look like a pup anymore, but he's still only nine, about nine or 10 months of age, Mando. So we were really lucky. Glenn knew, Glenn, my husband, he knew the breeder. And um, so we knew as soon as the litter was born that they were on the ground. And I contacted her and I said, hey, because um, she, she'd she already said, you know, we could have a pup. I said, hey, would you mind um, giving the mum and like an omega-3 source. So antenol Rapid. And I said, would you mind also supplementing, like just supplement all the puppies? I'll pay for it because we don't know which pup's gonna be ours yet. So just supplement all of them, like from day dot, and um yeah, we'll just go from there. And luckily she was willing to do it. You know, we had conversations around around why and the benefits. And She's been doing that with litters since, and she swears to God that she's noticed a significant improvement in um, the confidence and the behavior and just the attitude of her litters that are coming through now. That's amazing. And it's so safe. Like it's something as simple as an omega-3 fat, completely safe, um, but so beneficial. And, I mean, while we're still on omega-3s, lots of research to show the benefits for um, behavior in terms of reducing anxiety and stress and how many dogs now You know, do you guys deal with in that regard?
0: Yes, definitely.
1: And so is this even beyond the, like, you know, you guys gave it to the puppies from day dot, but, like, let's say someone, there's a listener out there, you know, and their dog is however months, years old, they can still have the same benefits or similar benefits regardless of the dog's age?
2: I Yeah, I truly believe it's not too late to ever start your dog on an omega-3 fat Um Yeah, if you know, if we hadn't have been able to do what we did with with that particular litter, you know, absolutely the day I got the puppy home at eight weeks, I would have started supplementing. If I got an older dog, you know, I would have started supplementing. It's there's benefits to just introducing it regardless Mm -hmm. of the dog's age. Absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that's number one. The second one.
2: I think, I mean, I love gut health. I think gut is the found my gut health is the foundation of all health. So I think. We live in a day and age and, you know, a lot of dog diets are such that it compromises gut health. Um, you know, kibble is actually clinically shown to um, produce poorer gut health than, say, raw-fed dogs. Stress absolutely can impact digestion and gut health. Um, and as I said before, you know, so many dogs are living in stressful environments. You know, we're stressed. We're making our dogs stressed. Um So, yeah, gut health to me is really fundamental. So, again, all of my dogs are on, I mean, it's one of my products. It's the Gut Protect product, and, you know, I designed that to be used every day long-term, extremely safe, but it just supports the integrity of the gut lining. It supports, you know, immune system function, and I think it just creates a more robust, you know, health system overall, which then works as a preventative to dogs sort of being prone to, you know, infection, allergies, things like that. So they're my sort of fundamental go-to
0: product. That's yes. awesome. I wrote that down because there's a couple of um, supplements I'll be getting off you and I'm going to be getting the gut protectors as well because, you know, my dog, 12 years old, you know, and not only because of that, as you said, it should be something that we need to do for all of our dogs, but you start to see now, you know, as he's 12 and he's a large breed, you know, things are slowing down and things are a little bit different and um, you want to try to keep them. As, as healthy as possible. Um, that's so good with that information that you shared there, because I guess most people don't supplement themselves, let alone think about giving supplements to their dogs. And I think a lot of people think, oh, but kibble has extra supplements. It's got the vitamins. I see that it writes it there. So they should be okay, sort of thing. But um if you listen to our original episode talking about the differences of raw food compared to like kibble, mm. um, and I guess we can talk more about it now, but um but I'm a big fan of raw feeding. I do admit that I don't feed 100% raw, just having three dogs and remembering to defrost food and all that sort of stuff sometimes can get a little bit tricky. Um, yeah. But I, I noticed a massive difference, you know, feeding my dogs a raw feed compared to giving them kibble. And, and then on top of that to go the extra little bit to to supplement because even and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but even if you are eating high-quality foods, they're not the same high-quality that used to live 500 years ago because of farming, etc. Is that
2: correct? Uh, absolutely, and I'm glad you raised that point because, um, you know, a couple of years ago now I looked at the U.S. Agricultural Department data on ag- like all the agricultural crops and the nutrient levels in, say, you know, what was it, 1914 and then in like 1967, for example, and then in 1997. And the percentage decline in nutrient value across all the vitamins and minerals was just scary. So we really aren't getting what we think we are and what we did once upon a time. What causes
1: that? Like what's causing the decline in that?
2: Just intensive farming practices, you know, just destroying Hmm. the soil, um, everything that's applied. This is a poorer quality soil, which means, you know, poorer quality crops coming out Hmm. of that.
0: Hmm. And and that happens because they used to, plow the field and then let that rejuvenate for like 9 months. Then they go to another plot, grow there, so then as a the time everything breaks down and then replenishes itself. You can go back to it. But because we don't do that, they cut everything down, they give it like fake like um synthetic nitrogen and all that to mm. build it back to a balance. And then now it's all very synthetic compared to it being organic. Is that right? Mm. Yeah, Something like that.
2: Definitely um on the right track. And the other really key point you made Panos is we we just trust the authorities. We trust the manufacturers that when the bag of kibble, for example, says that it's nutritionally complete and balanced, which means it contains all the like all the minimum amount of nutrients that your dog needs to survive, it's not actually the case. And, you know, studies have been done around the world, but one of them, and I talk about these in my seminar, but when we look at the UK, for example, they assessed 170 commercial pet foods, um, And 94% of the canned foods that claim, well, of the canned foods, 94% that claim to be complete and balanced weren't. So that's huge. And 62% of the dry foods didn't meet the minimum AFCO requirements. So even though these foods are saying, yes, we meet the minimum requirements, which is not a standard that we should be aspiring to for our dogs, um, the minimum guidelines are there. Like with our human, you know, minimum guidelines, they're there to prevent disease. Yeah. Yeah chronic disease. It's not about health or thriving. Um, But, you know, 94% of wet foods and 62% of dry foods didn't meet those minimum standards, even though the bag claimed that they did. The other issue um, from a nutritional perspective, when it comes to kibble, because we're on the kibble topic, is, you know, manufacturers know that. Manufacturers know that um, through the extrusion process, a lot of nutrients, you know, a loss. So they do put back in those synthetic nutrients. But even then, the studies are showing that, you know, when they measure them, there are still several nutrients that are dropping below those minimum guidelines. And then the bags sit on, you know, pit pet store shelf for how many years? And then they sit in your cupboard or your garage for how many months? And, you know, our nutrients are very fragile. You know, they exposed to heat and light and oxygen. They degrade. Um, yeah. So even if the bag did start off with enough, by the end of by the time you feed your dog, it could just be rancid fats and less nutrients, and yeah, just a mess. So That's what I crazy. what I'm starting to say now to pet owners is, you know, with the freeze dried organs, you know, like liver and kidney and you know pancreas and spleen. When I first launched those in the range, I was I was more focused on raw food feeders who were doing it themselves, and they needed to add in those those organs as like the multivitamin as part of their dog's meal. But honestly, now I'm telling kibble feeders, feed it as a topper, like feed it as a multivitamin, like as a nutrient boost to your dog's meal, because I just think, I think it needs it. Yeah, I think our dogs do need that boost.
0: And and it can make people feel bad. They're like, oh, my God, but I don't know if I can afford to do raw because it is a bit more expensive. and, And, you know, how much it shocks you when you walk into a house and there's pet, like, you know, am I allowed to say brand names? um You know, I saw pedigree back then. I'm like, oh my god, no, please! Don't you're feeding the dogs. Um, they're probably the lowest quality food you can get at the supermarket. And I get it. She's like, times are tough, man. Like, it's hard for me to even live, let alone look after the animal. I got to just at least he's alive. He's just th- he's just surviving. And she didn't say that, but that's basically a lot of people's mindset. It's like, oh, another thing to think about and get into so much detail. I guess here. Where We're here to like break, and your podcast does a good job at breaking down complicated topics into a more pragmatic sense. But, you know, people feel bad that even if they get the highest quality kibble, we're still not even reaching a high quality of nutrition. Even if you feed an 80 20, like an 80% raw food to kibble diet, like still for me I feel that, oh, I'm still like, you know, not doing the best for the dogs, but you got to have a sense of practicality as well. What if you don't defrost it that day and, Mm. you know, it's time to feed your dogs. You're going to not feed them. So, you know, um, Should pe- how, how bad should people feel if they do give any kibble to their dog?
2: Look, we do have to be reasonable and practical. And, you know, the last thing I want is for pet owners to be beating themselves up and feeling bad that they're not doing the best thing by their dog because we can all just do the best that we can. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I say this all the time in my seminars and um, my lectures If you can just, and the the research supports this, if you can just add in at least 20% raw or whole foods or, you know, cooked foods, but, you know, not processed foods to your dog's kibble, the health benefits are huge. Um, So even we're going off supplements, but there was, you know, there was a study done looking at bladder cancer in Scottish terriers and they found that for those dogs, so all the dogs in the study, I think it went for maybe a year that they were looking at these dogs, all the dogs were fed kibble. But then they looked at which dogs got vegetables, you know, a certain number of times per week. And for the dogs that got vegetables at least three times a week, now don't quote me on this percentage, but there was up to maybe like an 87% reduction in cancer risk in those dogs. Mm. And they're they're kibble-fed dogs, but they just had the addition of brightly colored vegetables like cruciferous vegetables, like your orange-yellow vegetables, things like that. So simple. If you've got kids, you've got leftover veggies, as long as they're safe for dogs, you know, add them to the bowl. And
0: does happen. it have to be cooked or pureed or can it just be as it is? And what's the best form of vegetable? Because I heard pureeing it makes it more like how they would eat it out of the gut of an animal.
2: Yeah, so like us, dogs don't have like a cellulase enzyme um, and so the the outer cell of plant matter is cellulase. Uh, so whether you cook it or blitz it or puree, it, yeah, that does help with okay. it. Yeah.
0: That's good to know, and um, another question on supplementation is actually it's not about supplementation. This is what I was going to ask you: Is there truth to? Okay, so I heard somebody saying I don't eat chicken because chicken's a weak bird. I, I only eat strong animals like you know elk and 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 bison or beef and things like that. And I heard, and that was about themselves, like um, like human development. But then I heard someone else talking about not feeding chicken to their dogs because it is a weak bird. And I heard it twice in like two weeks. And I'm like, oh, there's something to this. And I don't know if I heard it from you, but I also heard that farm chickens can be higher in omega-6 and they can cause inflammation. So is there any – so first question is, is there truth to eating weaker animals compared to stronger animals? And is there anything to that scientifically? And also what's the go with chicken and what's like the downfalls to it?
2: That's a really interesting question, and I've never heard that before about the weak animals.
1: Weak <laughs> birds. Um, I'm just picturing like a chicken getting picked on by a stronger bird.
0: <laughs> well, like I, I think he was like no one went out and hunted chickens. You know, we go out to hunt the big, large animals. You know.
1: Look, I
2: think I'm not familiar with that concept, and I, I, I would, I'm curious now. I'm going to be googling that tomorrow. But the one thing I would say is relevant. Um, and it's not weak versus strong animals, you know, imparting their, their weakness or their strength onto us. Although there is a concept in traditional medicine of um, like supports like. So if you eat the pancreas of an animal, that's going to support your pancreatic health. Or if you eat, you know, whatever organ, the brain is going to support your brain health. Like I'm familiar with that concept and it's got a special term, like a name, and I can't think of what it is right now. But What's more important to me in terms of which animals you choose is, and this sounds a bit horrible, but how they're slaughtered because the stress hormones.
1: Cortisol, that, is it?
2: Yeah. So, cortisol, um, you know, if an animal's really stressed just prior to slaughter or in like just their, the whole way that they're raised um, in intensive like feedlots, for example, that gets into the meat. Um, and I think that can have an impact sort of in a roundabout way on our health. So, I do believe in you know animals should be well treated and um, calm and not stressed in the lead up to being slaughtered, which sounds a bit doesn't make sense, but yeah, I think it's that's a
0: horrible true. truth. I guess we have it to, is. if we're going to eat them, they have to die. So I guess well, and then it doesn't we have mean, mean the they question. have
1: to die an unpleasant or a stressful death, or that what? they should be raised in an unpleasant or stressful way,
0: right? That's well, like point. that, and then also. Like how they live, are they farm chickens compared to free range chickens, yeah. and um, and all of that. But then also, you know, the, if they're sick, if they're stressed, they're sick. They're getting antibiotics and they're getting all that other stuff. And then, I guess, in terms of like, I prefer to. F- I've been feeding a lot less chicken just because I heard about hormones and just the general quality. I, I've been pref- so like the kibble that I do feed has is the lamb protein, and a lot of the the raw food is beef or like usually beef and it has like all the, the lamb hearts, the all, the, all the organs in it from raw and fresh with the puree vegetables and stuff. So I find a bit of a balance there, but I have been doing more beef and the dogs have been enjoying it more. So I don't know. Do you feed any chicken or else to your dogs?
2: Yeah, I do. So all of my dogs are on like as the bulk of their diet, big dog raw patties. I just find I'm so busy. I just find that the most convenient approach for all my dogs. Um, But we go through like a box, like a whole box of big dog a day. So um, so one day, and I do a different protein, like I just defrost a different protein for every day. So, yes, I do chicken as part of that, but it's one day, you know, like out of a week they they might all get chicken. But I do agree the way most chicken is raised, um, like in those really intensive sheds and the food that they're fed and, yeah, any of the drugs that they're given, um, that absolutely can promote higher omega-6 sort of fats. So chicken is really high in omega-6. So you don't want to give it definitely everyday.
0: Because that can cause inflammation, too much omega-6, is that right?
2: Yeah. And that sort of comes in through what they're fed, because they're fed a lot of grains uh and things like that. But if you, you know, the, the science is quite clear that grass-fed animals have a much better ratio or a more ideal ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. So if you can afford. You know, grass-fed if you're buying and consuming meat, that is the ideal. And for the organs in the canine range, range, um, they're either organic and grass-fed or the replacement bone is just grass-fed. So yeah, I, I think that's important, but being practical, you know, you do what you can do.
0: Totally. And how about the the, if we're going to make pet food, I guess, then you're not choosing the best quality like in terms of the, the, pro, the procedure line. You're getting the bottom of the barrel stuff that we can put into dog food. So they consider that as well, I guess.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. It is often the bottom of the barrel and the way, you know, carcasses are treated before they're sort of made into dog food. It's pretty gross. And, you know, the grains are sort of just the mouldy, sort of grains that can't be used in the human food chain and Mm -hmm. that's again that comes back to why i'm really huge on selecting as much as possible human grade products for my dogs
0: that's awesome um i don't know if i asked you last time but i'm gonna ask you again because things have may have changed and i see it so often and it annoys me that i see it and i and i'm going to tell you what advice i do give for dogs eating their own poo or eating other dogs' poo, but generally eating their own, and I'm pretty sure we had this conversation. Um, and I know that my little dog Nookie used to do it. Um, she hasn't. She hasn't done it in a long time. I've been picking up a lot of her poos like for years now. But there is the odd occasion where she looks at it. And I tell her off. Um, but and and, I, and I'm going to tell you what I say because I've been telling a lot of people this, and I could completely be wrong. So I want you to out me in front of everyone. Is Dogs may be eating their poo for a range of reasons. It could be an enzyme deficiency or a B vitamin deficiency and to, and you should supplement that with like some sort of enzyme or red raw meat. Um, it could also be a habit that they developed when they were puppies. So if they were bored or if the place wasn't cleaned up properly, then they were consuming their own poo. And a lot of times the first question I ask is, are they eating canned food? Or any processed food, and as soon as they say yes, I say just stop that and see what happens. And nine times out of ten, when they stop canned food, the dog just stops eating its poo because it doesn't smell like the canned food that went into its mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a few things that I say. How wouldn't the dog's poo smell
1: like any? Wouldn't it smell like its food no matter what it ate?
0: Yeah, but a pal. If you give it pal, I'm saying all these names. Like i going to hope they don't come after me. Um, you give it like just any canned food. And you you can smell it in like in their in their poo. Like uh, with kibble, okay. it doesn't smell like the kibble really. It may have a a resemblance of it, but the it really smells exactly the same. It's he used
1: to do it when he was younger, but he hasn't done it in probably, I don't reckon he's done it in a year. Yeah, so, he's wow. two now. So, he probably did it a few times under one, but he hasn't done it in a long, long, long time. So, well, I don't know if they just grow out of it or.
2: Well, can us, I mean, you, you're on point with what you've been saying, so that's good. Um, Yay. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, in addition to what you said, absolutely, it could be an insufficiency, like a nutrient insufficiency, and enzyme insufficiency, so easy to sort of supplement that and see what happens. Um, definitely, if it's in the environment. But know, do puppies, you
0: have an enzyme supplement?
2: I do. What's um, it called? I, the Gut Protect.
0: Okay, good. Perfect. I know what to tell people now. Okay, good. Continue. Yeah. Sorry.
2: Um. And in addition to what you said about, like, you know, if the mess is left around, you know, puppies are curious, they're going to pick things up. They also copy what they see, you know, other dogs do. So it might've just been a monkey see, monkey do. Um, if you punish your dog, like for pooing in the house, often they'll try and sort of quickly gobble it up before you see it. And that yeah. you know, avoids a punishment. Um, some dogs, I think, dislike the taste, honestly. Um, a lot of dogs <laughs> do grow out of it. And what was the other thing? Oh, so in terms of gut health, because the stools are quite rich in uh, bacteria. So often it's said that if, like the gut microbiome is is lacking or compromised in any way. Dogs might eat other dogs' stools, not just to get enzymes and nutrients, but also to get the bacteria.
0: From um, other dogs? Yeah. Yeah, like right. To repopulate fecal. their gut.
2: Yeah, fecal transplant. They're doing their own um, wow. oral fecal transplant.
0: But is it bad for dogs to eat their own poo? Because it's freaking repulsive behavior. But how bad is it for them?
2: Look, I don't think it's bad for them. Per se, um, one of my friends, she's, She used to do a lot more when she was young, but you know, it never made her sick in any way. You know, I never looked, saw any changes in behaviour or health from her doing it. Um, but yeah, it's just. I think it's gross for us. It's very
0: gross. Um,
1: Remember, Panos. Okay, why, why does a dog do anything? Because it can. Because
0: he- <laughs> it smells great, and I can go for an extra snack. No, yeah. look. I think I've seen more dogs be doing it lately. I don't know if. Maybe I'm just noticing them all, but I've been like a lot more frequently compared to all the other years. So I don't know if it's something that's going on, or maybe just, or who knows. So, but I guess I guess we've got it's a few on trend.
1: Things. Eating eating poo is it's it's in for 2023.
0: Yeah, when they smell the pee post, they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, the doberman down the street said that he'd been eating his poo. Um, all right, cool. That was good that we clarified that one. Well, what's the technical term for eating poo, Nurel? Uh Autophagy,
1: isn't it? Oh no, no. What's autophagy? I don't know what that is. What did you say, Neuro?
2: Autophagia is, um, Luke, is when cells self like kill themselves.
1: Oh, I'm thinking of intermittent fasting. Yeah, oh, that's exactly completely that different. Yeah.
2: Um, if I'm saying it correctly, coprophagia. <laughs>
0: that's right. That's why I never say it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, um, and something that's just come off the top of my head, and I remember a couple of other trainers have said this back in the day when I was, you know. Doing my my study in that, where they would say that um, not feeding a dog once a week, just a kind of you know, you know, giving him that fast day, it was good to kind of keep him sharp, keep him active, keep him keep him healthy. Is there and is does that do something to to, to a dog's health? Or, is there any is science that, behind that? Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, do you know what? I, off the top of my head, I don't know if there's any science. I'm sure there is science showing the benefits to fasting for dogs. Um, Put that on my to-do list to look into um, Panos. All right. <laughs> but I think there's huge benefit into um, either intermittent fasting for our dogs or just that one day a week where you, know, where you give them a break. Or if you feed two meals a day as your regular feeding regime, you know, maybe one day here and there you feed one meal a day just to give them a break. I do think there's cellular um, benefits and overall health benefits to that. Do I think to do it with my dogs? No, I mean I do feed them within an eight-hour window. Mm-hmm. So, I sort ah, so of- they
1: almost do their own intermittent fasting kind of thing.
2: Yeah, so it's like an eight-sixteen yeah um, time-restricted feeding program that all my dogs are on. But I just, I've never been someone to just skip a day of food for them. Um, maybe I'm just too soft, even though I, I do understand the health benefits of it. it Make you know, my- me feel bad too. All those little Frenchy faces looking up at me, just going like, <laughs> "Feed me, love me," and I just can't deny them. So.
0: Definitely. Oh, look, obviously, um, if I see my dogs had diarrhea, I will fast him that day so he can like reset. Um, and then if it's happening again, like the day after, then I'm going to go off your advice that I heard on your podcast, um, giving him the turkey and the pumpkin, yep. um, the boiled turkey and pumpkin in in um, instead of giving him the boiled chicken and rice, which most people do. Yep. And you can listen to that episode of your podcast to get more information about why. Um,
2: actually but, one of my most popular podcasts like why you shouldn't feed or well, the whole chicken and rice for diarrhea debate
0: <laughs> it's yes it's really good downloadable vo- podcast yeah that's awesome actually when you said the gluggy rice thing even for us humans if we're having a bad day ourselves is like having a gluggy and having that water continent is like very beneficial i thought that was really cool so that's something i took from that episode um but um i feed my dogs once a day and they're all, like, except for Chili, when he was, one of my dogs was one years old when I got him. And because he'd been doing a lot of activity, I would feed him twice. But now I feed him once a day. Um, And I remember speaking to about Nookie eating her poo and you're like, maybe she's hungry. She should feed her more. But I've just kept it once a day. She just stopped doing it because I just told her off a bunch of times for doing it, I guess. Or maybe she doesn't. I never catch her because how do I know she's done it? So, yeah. you know. Maybe she's just living her best life, um, but none of them are underweight. Um, Spades is still pretty active, even though he's a large breed, 38 kilos, and he's 12 years old. Um, mm-hmm. I think feeding once a day has been beneficial for them. Do you advise once a day or do you think twice a day is still better?
2: I think it's really personal and individual. So it's what you know the dog does well on. It's what the owner feels comfortable with. Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for one or two meals a day. Okay. If your dog's maintaining weight, I mean, if you had a giant breed, I mean, the amount of food that you would have to put in that one bowl,
0: yeah,
2: I would be concerned about um, bloat that much volume, and yeah, in terms of bloat. So, in those sort of situations, I've never owned a giant breed, but I'd be a bit paranoid about that. Yeah, Um, but no, you know, there's such debate about one or two meals a day on social media at times, and I'm like, just do what works for you and your dogs. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah. I also heard feeding dogs at dawn. You're going to probably ask me, what the hell are you listening to? <laughs> but, um, I heard feeding your dog and um, around dawn and dusk was most ideal because it's something that was like inherent within their instincts. What do you reckon? Not- Fake news. <laughs> I, can't,
2: I honestly can't provide comment on that.
0: All right, cool. Yeah both that and the strong dog strong um animal weak animal thing was all in the same thing that I listened to. I couldn't even remember who I listened to it, but it wasn't that I heard recently. Um well that's cool to know. I would like to ask you about how to support our older dogs because well since one of my dogs is old and everyone's dogs become old very quickly. You're like, "Oh my god, my dogs are old. This is craziness." Um, which is pretty depressing. But um I guess the first thing before we talk about it is like What is, in your own opinion, um, the general life expectancy of a small and a large breed? What do you reckon? Small, like a general small dog and a general large breed, not like extra large and extra small.
2: Like what would be ideal or?
0: Well, like what you've noticed in your time of seeing lots of dogs and stuff.
2: Uh, Look, I think, I mean, small dogs, excuse me, small dogs really should be living to, you know, at least 12 um, and above. So I think that's that's not unreasonable if they're, you know, well cared for and they've got a good diet and, you know, well supplemented, things like that. You know, when you get into larger breeds, I think if you hit 10 to 12, you've had a good innings with your large breed dog. Um, I think they used to live a lot longer than what we're seeing now, but I know with our roddies and our shepherds over the years, like if we get to 12, we're like, oh, you know, and they're in, sort of decent health, like they're not chronically ill or anything like that, you know, we're pretty happy happy with that. Um, yeah. That's like the expectation, I think. And, um, again, giant breeds, I'm, I've actually never had much to do with the giant breed dogs, but I think you could probably tell me better if they get to sort of eight or nine. Eight or
0: nine. I, I'd well. say extra large breeds, about eight to nine. Large breeds, like generally around 10, and then small breeds up to 15. But I guess not everyone gets a 15. Um, But that's what I've generally seen and what I've heard, and I've always kind of observed that. But um, I guess it's interesting now, you know, 10 years, 11 years of doing my job, there's lots of dogs that I started training are, like, no longer with us. So I guess I'll start to see more of a perspective over that maybe over the next decade about life expectancies and also accumulating more dogs myself. I think Spades is doing good. Being 38 kilos, 12 years old, his back legs and his hips, or like I think it's his back, um, are looking a bit weak and slow. I guess besides that, and a couple of lipomas that he's grown, we've been cutting. Out. He's got a, quite a few of them, but besides mm. that, he hasn't got really any other health issue, and they've all been benign and stuff. So, but I guess um, there are a lot of people that, that are that are listening that they do have older dogs, and in terms of you know training, we've done our training with our dogs. We maintain a, a bit of a relationship, but the thing now you need to start thinking about. Especially, I guess, around seven onwards, is—is is there any differences that you would be doing with a dog that's approaching? Randy's around nine years old. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, he just recently turned nine, and we're really seeing him age.
0: A yeah. Lot last and is there bit. anything different that you're going to do, or are, you, are your practices are basically it's the same generally, unless something acute occurs that you need to do differently?
2: No, absolutely. I've already started doing different things for Randy um, as he's aged. So I strongly recommend people do treat their senior dogs a little bit differently because they do have different health needs, Um, dietary needs a little bit, but, you know, there's a lot we can do supplemental wise to really support them as they age. So I'm always, again, looking at gut health. So the older we get, the older our dogs get, we naturally produce less gastric acid and we naturally produce um, less digestive enzymes. So, you know, that's where the gut protect can come in from that angle um, and that's where some dogs, you know, because of the reduced gastric acid, you know, if your dog's not thriving or you know they've got poor quality coat or something like that, you might want to think about giving them a cooked food diet or at least a partially cooked food diet, or adding in something like the like the freeze dried organ meats to really give them some extra nutrition, just to support because their digestion's not doing as well as it did back in the day.
0: So you went cooking it be- instead of raw, or cooking it if you're giving kibble or I guess both to balance that out. Yeah, a little bit of both. So if, you, if
2: you're if you feeding kibble, adding in some nice sort of cooked stewy type sort of meat and veg can sort of just be nice as well. And if you're feeding raw food, you might do either raw and cooked or you might transition over to like 100% sort of whole food cooked diet. Hmm. Um, it de- really does depend on the dog and particularly if your dog is, is sick, as like something's going on, whether it's cancer, um, often – they don't do as well on a raw food diet, and okay. you know I've had human clients over the years that just don't tolerate raw food very well, so they don't do well on salads. Um, for some reason, their constitution and the digestion just needs cooked foods. But that's um, another topic. But yeah, so definitely supporting gut health. But we've already started that from puppies, so that should have just continued all the way through um, their lives. Something I have added in in the last twelve months for Andy is MCT oil. So this is part of the Vet Activate range. It's called Brain Fuel, and I'm out of stock at the moment because it's been so popular, so hopefully by the end of the month I'll have more stock back in. But MCT oil, so medium-chain triglycerides, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with, and most people are, I think, these days with keto diets and all Mm. that stuff, but there's there's good scientific evidence in dogs to show that MCT oil improves brain function in senior dogs. So studies have shown that um, I think it was even after 90 days of supplementing, I think it was a kibble diet with MCT oil, senior dogs had less anxiety, less disorientation, um, reduced house soiling. What else was it? There's like all these parameters that they measured, but basically a oh, better sleep wake cycles. So, you know, they're probably sleeping better at night and a bit more energetic and active during the day. So I think that's amazing for our senior dogs. Like I've got a real soft spot for old dogs. And if we can do something as simple as adding, you know, some MCT oil to improve like their cognitive function. And the studies were actually done looking at cognitive, canine cognitive dysfunction syndrome in dogs, which is equivalent to sort of our Alzheimer's disease. And they're the dogs that they found significant benefits um, by the use of MCT oil. And the other thing that I've done, um, well with Randy is adding the PEA plus, which is one of my top sellers in the range. So PEA stands for palmitoyl ethanol amide. Um, and it's a phenomenal compound. Like there is decades of research in the human and the animal space to show like benefits across so many different health areas. It's just crazy. It's like it's almost too good to be true sort of ingredient. Its safety profile is phenomenal. There's no cautions or contraindications with any other medications or any other supplements. We make it naturally ourselves and our dogs make it naturally themselves, but, you know, levels decline, you know, as we age and when we're sick and things like that. But there's lots of great studies for PEA in dogs for helping reduce chronic pain. So any musculoskeletal condition, and, you know, a lot of our old dogs are suffering from arthritis and sort of degenerative disc diseases and their mobility is not as great. So absolutely like the PEA plus for senior dogs. Um, and I usually say don't wait till you see them suffering. Like if your dog's getting on in age, there's absolutely no harm at all in starting them on something like the PEA plus um, because it is so gentle and safe. You might just start on a lower maintenance dose and then if something progressed, you know, you could always up the dose. Um so that's really great. And it's really good for nerve health as well. So Ladybug, our French bulldog with a spinal injury, um, she was on the she was on a human PA because I didn't have my range at that point uh, for her nerve regeneration and supporting her nervous system and helping her to walk again. So really, really good product for old dogs. And I do get amazing feedback from people saying, oh, you know, my older dog, he's running around like a puppy again, which you have to be careful that they don't. Then get themselves (laughs) running around with new enthusiasm. Um and even Pat, Pat Stewart, with his dog Remy, he's got put him on the PA plus in the last six months and he's like, I've really noticed like renewed life and energy um in my dog. So yeah, that's really great.
0: I, I was doing the PA plus for ages. It ran out and it's been like two months that I'm like, Oh my God. I can't believe I haven't re um, replaced it. So as soon as I got off the phone, I'll zoom with you. Um, we, I'm going to make an order for a couple of different things here. I'm going to do the gut protect as well for them. Um, I noticed a massive difference when, when giving that. Cause I gave, I think maybe two cycles of it to, um, to spades throughout the year last year. And, mm. but also it was at the same time where I inject, we injected him with like cartropin, which I know that stuff's like, really good to like bounce back real quick but um but i also know that it's got its own side effects as well so i wanted to like make sure i wasn't going to just keep injecting him every i think they wanted to do it every six weeks but i think i was doing it every three months um and the vet gave me the all clear for that but um you know i want to try to keep it as um as natural as possible rather than having to give him an injection but um but you know then we have to start to consider especially when it comes to medications and i know you're not a vet but you know um there are side effects of, you know, most pharmaceuticals and you have to weigh up, well, the side effects of quality of life now for the next two or three years, four years, hopefully, Mm. compared to, you know, the risk that it could develop an issue. Like, you know, you have to start to weigh it up. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? And it can get pretty difficult, right? But at least with with supplementation, you're doing everything from the foundation up. And then if you need to give pharmaceuticals on top of that because, you know, supplementation is probably not enough, then I guess that's better way to go right
2: look absolutely and quality of life always has to be first and foremost when we're dealing with our dogs and i get a lot of emails saying oh my vet said this you know i needed to give this drug and i don't want to i want to do it naturally so can you tell me what to do and i'm like your dog is because you know i usually get long emails about what's going on with the dog and i'm like your dog is suffering like you have to take give it the drug like you need to do that we can work in the background um supporting your dog and helping them you know through it and what I what usually happens is, you know, they'll get the treatment, whatever it is, for allergies or, you know, joint pain. Um, and we'll add in a few things in the background. And generally they don't need to give the medication or the injection as frequently. Yeah. Um, and that's even a huge step. I
0: think that. that's what I noticed actually. I was giving the cartropin prior to the PA plus, started giving mm-hmm. the PA plus. So I'm like, everything's all right. I only give it to him if he's like limping and taking ages to get up off the floorboards, things like that. And then now, because I have been delayed on keeping up his supplementation, which is probably a stupid thing because you should probably keep it up so it stays in his bloodstream, and have to load it up again. So I know that's a bit of a screw up on my end. Um, But we're here to share our mistakes. Depends on the
2: supplement. Depends on the supplement. Some, you know, best to give every day, long term. Others, you know, I say add it in as needed, then pop it back in the cupboard for when you need it again. So it really does depend.
0: So what about with the pea plus?
2: Look, I think that is one of the better ones to use every day long-term yeah. and just tweak the dosing. So, for example, if, you know, the PA plus is great for allergy dogs as well. Um, so people might be able to stop it, say, over winter for a month or two, but they okay. really need to, in the lead up to spring, be getting the blood levels back up. So I might say, look, you know, maybe in August, let's start again. Let's keep it at like once a day dosing. And then when, you know hay fever season hits and all the allergens are in the air and their dog's starting to flare up, we're like, okay, let's boost the dose for a few months okay. and then, you know, bring them back down. So it's about, yeah, some things you can just tweak up and down depending on the situation. Products like the the Pure sb 10 which is for diarrhea or the gut restore, which is for a, more for acute gastrointestinal flare-ups, like you'll use them for maybe a week or two or up to a month. Then once once everything settles down, like you pop them back in the cupboard and, you know, go about everything else
0: and that gut protect is a probiotic
2: it's got probiotics prebiotics digestive enzymes and herbs so um you'll have to listen to my podcast that i recorded on the first so i just released it this morning so yeah so it went live today but uh i talk about gut protect because i do love it and it really is my flagship product and i get just phenomenal feedback on how it has helped dogs.
1: Right, you plug, know what, Plug of- the plug the podcast, Neural. What's it called? You you do this one with Glenn, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Glenn is my co-host and he holds it all together for me when I'm doing everything. But uh, natural health for people and pets.
0: Really, really recommended. Awesome.
2: Yep. Um, so my news resolution is to do them more regularly. So I want to aim for at least one a month. How often do Perfect.
0: you go? To Once a week.
2: Oh, I don't know how you do it.
0: Well, we do two of these
1: longer ones every month and Panos tends to do like a shorter one by himself every other week.
0: So I told Luke I want to do once a month and he's like, you need to do it once a week. It's good for the algorithm. And I was like three (laughs) years ago and now it's just weird not talking to a microphone once a week. So it's just habits now. Mm.
2: (laughs) Uh, I know. I mean, I always have to plan what I'm going to talk about and research what I'm going to talk about. And I mean, like Glenn and Pat, for example, they just show up sit down and say, Hey, what are we going to talk about? And off they go. And I'm like, how do you
0: do that? (laughs) We just rattle it off. Oh, look, I guess it's, um, it's important to get this information out there. It's actually reminded me to get my own Omega threes and probiotics. Cause I've run out and I've just fully forgotten to get it again. It's real. It's a real habitual thing. Supplements, right? Because it's not like, Oh, I'm hungry. I will eat. It's mm. are you taking your supplements at the right time? The right day sort of thing is, is keeping that routine. And I don't know, is there any tips about how people can remember to bloody take it? Should you, like, write it down in a calendar the, or something? For themselves or for the dogs? Well, oh, I guess both, both, right? Yeah. yeah. I, the-
1: I, I have one of those, uh, you know, those, like, old people, like, I shouldn't say that, like the, I don't know, my brother told me the name of it because he, he's a physio. He works in, I've used to work in I hospital.
2: It too. I use them when I travel. Like It's the like,
1: days. there's, like, a um, container for AM, PM, and then yes. it has each one day of the week. Okay. So, once a week, I just measure out my little... Whatever I'm taking, and that's easy. Then I just I don't that's have to d- remember it every day.
2: Yeah, I think I mean I think that's perfect. Um, I've had so much compliance issues with patients over the years, like human patients, um, remembering. So I'll say, like, set your phone alarm or put the supplements, you know, somewhere on the bench, not near a window in direct sunlight, but just somewhere where you might see it. And that's why probiotics, like refrigerated probiotics, are notorious for not being taken because they're,
1: you know, they're you're in way. the fridge. Yeah,
2: they're in the fridge. Um, so yeah, things like that, but just going back to the senior dogs, cause so I do yes. want to give people some more tips for how to support their older dogs. So we're speaking about the gut protect for gut health, the MCT all for c- cognition. If you do feel like your dog's starting to be a bit disorientated or just not quite as with it, um, the PEA plus for joint health other, you know, the collagen fort collagen is such a safe, and gentle sort of background support for, you know, joints and any connective tissues really. I mean, whether it's gut health like the lining of the gut or joints and ligaments and cartilage. So I think keeping sort of, you know, all of those like joints and ligaments strong and flexible absolutely will support our senior dogs in their mobility. And then depending on what's going on, like if your dog is diagnosed with osteoarthritis and is quite um, impacted by you know whatever musculoskeletal condition it has, then you might think, okay, what else do I need potentially as an anti-inflammatory to support my dog? And that's where like you turmeric and rose hip-based products might come into it. So the vet activate range have joint health, which is turmeric, um, like a clinically proven highly bioavailable C3 complex turmeric or curcumin complex. Um combined with rose hip and combined with black pepper. So that's a really lovely combination in powder form. And then they've got the pure cur- curcuminoid liquid, which is their joint care product. And that I tend to recommend that because it comes in a small bottle. I tend to recommend that for acute flare ups or acute issues. So if your dog's just done an injury or just had surgery um, because it's drops that, you know, it's a 30 mil bottle and it's drops and you know, for large breed dogs, it doesn't last very long. I mean, you can give it safely long-term, but I tend to say, look, start with the joint care. Let's get over this acute phase. And then as maintenance, let's move on to, let's say the PEA plus with the joint health powder and, you know, a few other things as well. So collagen, you know, your turmeric products are really great. If your dog's got any, you know, uh, nerve degeneration issues and like Frenchie owners, if like I'm speaking to you, <laughs> like Frenchies are just like their spines and just terrible, but we love them. Um, lion's mane, are you guys are mm. ah,
1: the mushrooms, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I've taken that before for That's like, for like co- the, cognitive stuff,
0: yeah, like the yeah. neurological growth, yeah.
1: right? Yeah,
2: really, really strong research for um, supporting neurological health, um, preventing the death of neurons, for supporting the regeneration of the myelin sheath, which is critical for like nerve transmission. Um, so great for older dogs or you know, where. You know, nerves tend to get compressed as spinal columns and things sort of start to narrow. And
0: I've got that in a powder form. It's, do, do I, would you know like how much I'm allowed to give to him?
2: Oh, uh, we need to talk about that separately. Okay. So, cool. yeah, I can see exactly what you had. So, we've got a, I've got a liquid form, nice. the pure lines main in the cannabisuticals range. And it tastes really nice. It's one of the few herbal tonics that tastes nice. And when I'm giving Ladybug um, and Randy theirs, I'll literally get the dropper and take some.
0: Myself. It tastes a little bit like cocoa, right? Like malty?
2: Um, the powder maybe, but the liquids, the herbal extract liquids will taste different depending on what they're extracted in, whether it's True. an ethanol or a glycertract or something like that. But um, it's cool. And one more thing, if I may, for our senior dogs, If you've got a senior dog that's starting to lose its appetite, um, bone broth can be really great, one, to get electrolytes into your dog, uh, and if you add it warm to your dog's food, just that temperature change can often be really appealing to dogs, and the smell that that generates can be really appealing to dogs. And the freeze-dried organs again, because they're such, you know, a potent sort of source of nutrients, but they taste like the flavour is really concentrated as well. So-, so you're telling
0: me that they're actually the organs, or they're not? They're not? They're crushed up into a pill?
2: No. So the the organic freeze-dried organs that I sell in my range. They're literally the organs that are subject to like low-temperature freeze-drying and then powdered. Like that is – Cool. That's it. So they're as close to the raw organ as you can get, but just really concentrated. So fussy dogs, I usually say to people, if you've got a fussy dog, sprinkle some of the freeze-dried organs over it because it is such a, like a strong smell and a strong taste, and most dogs like really love it. Um, but great for seeing your dogs too that if they're unwell or if they're just – Feeling a bit blah because they're old, Um, yeah. Bone broth and organs. That is
0: really good advice.
2: Yeah, so they're my key, and you know, I. Oh, we already spoke about diet. Yeah, move off kibble if you can.
0: Tell me, tell me. So, what are we going to say? Say it.
2: No, that was it. Just yeah, if you can. You think
0: like there's a big
1: difference between let's say really crappy kibble and really good kibble? Does that exist? Is there such a thing?
2: There is a spectrum, absolutely. I'm not going to name names, but there's definitely a spectrum of kibbles that I think are absolutely actively detrimental to health, the health mm. of your dog, and there are kibbles that use really pure ingredients, you know, they don't put all the crap in, things like that.
1: Is it, is it true that imported kibbles um, get treated or, like, irradiated or something like that? Is that, is that right? I
2: don't think... I don't think kibbles do. I know certain ingredients do, but I haven't. I could be wrong on that, to be okay. honest. But I, I wasn't aware that kibbles coming into Australia are irradiated. Okay. I mean, they're so highly processed. I couldn't imagine they'd need to kill off anything else. Yeah, but, right. But the thing, the the thing with kibble, even the highest quality, like best quality kibble, is just by the way that it's manufactured creates, and that's through the extrusion process and those high temperatures that it goes through repeatedly. When that happens, when you've got like protein and sugars from coming from the carbohydrates, that's creating what's called the Maillard reaction, and the Maillard reaction then that's creates- what makes
1: food makes taste makes food taste good, isn't it? The when it you get like, like the crispy bit on your food.
2: Well, to um, just to put it out there, Glenn and I just had um, barbecued beef short ribs tonight for dinner, and that is the Maillard reaction in full, mm-hmm. like that crusty, yeah, yeah. burnt. <laughs> sort of out of rib it's the best bit (laughs) but um but that's really detrimental to health so it it creates um toxic compounds like acrylamide and advanced glycation end products and there's so much research i did a talk at the canine scent detection conference in october because you know they're all working dogs and i'm like you know if you want to support the health and the integrity of your working dogs you need to consider that you know these toxic compounds and these inflammatory compounds in kibble are detrimental to um, connective tissues, to healing and repair, to like, there's this whole, I kind of remember off the top of my head, but this whole list of detrimental health conditions that's scientifically proven in humans and animals is happening. And it may be at a low level happening in your dog every day, but if you're feeding kibble for every meal of every day, year after year in your dog's life, that is absolutely having an impact. And- yeah, wow. Well. Um, I sort of tied it into how that also um, impacts olfaction in scent detection dogs. So it was a really interesting concept, I think, to a lot of people who were there.
0: Yeah, totally. I'm sure a lot of people would have been, like a lot of people will find it um, not like not specifically who you talk to, but in general, it's like, oh, but it's just so convenient because I get the kibble three scoops, eat the bloody food dog. The dog scoffs it down, easy to clean. We're like with raw food, there's so much preparation, especially when some of my clients are like, I'm adamant, I'm going to get all the ingredients myself. I'm like, oh, my God, just people do that already for you. Just kept the um the, the the packaged goods. But there's so much that has to go into it. And it seems like so messy, so much of a procedure that it can be, Um, you know, like people will be discouraged by it. But I'm hoping if they've been listening to this, that they're encouraged to start to explore more of it because, and I think it's becoming more of a thing as well. Five years ago, it was very hard to, you know, get people to eat um, feed their dogs raw food, where I think this day and age, maybe I'm around it more, but I think people are a bit more with it and a bit more wanting to do it. Have you noticed the same?
2: Yeah, I I have. And, you know, it comes back to what I always say, just do the best you can, even if you can add in a little bit of something fresh. And there is research to show, like in terms of, um, the maillard reaction in food, if you, because it's such a, like, and creates such, so much oxidative stress in the body, if you eat like fresh foods, like colorful fruits and vegetables, that has a, what's called an anti glycation effect in the body. So it's sort of counterbalancing. So if you have your roast potatoes or your, you know, burnt steak with a salad or, you know, some tabbouleh or something on the side, it's absolutely sort of helping to offset the damage. So if you're doing that with your dog, and I think that's part of why that cancer study was so effective because. You know, those brightly colored vegetables was helping to offset some of the detrimental effects of the diet. So it doesn't have to be much. 20% if you can do it, fresh food.
0: That is awesome. Hey, that's a good good rule to live by eh? 20%. 20%. Yep. Minimum. And then you move it up from there if you can.
2: Well, okay, here's the caveat because if you're feeding what should be a nutritionally complete and balanced food, let's say kibble, even though we've just said that a lot of them aren't even complete and balanced, but Sort of going to 20%. So if you add in 20% of food in addition to that kibble, if you start to go beyond that 20%, you start to unbalance
0: the diet. Uh, now see, I told you it's complicated.
2: But what I, so what I recommend is if you want to push it further than the 20%, all you need to do is add in a nutritionally complete and balanced fresh food like big dog patty. So I'll say to someone, you know, feed your kibble, but if you want to do it like a 50 50, You know, the big dog patties are already nutritionally complete and balanced, so it doesn't matter how much kibble you take out, your dog's still going to be getting everything it needs. Yeah, okay. Rather than someone, like, feeding 50% kibble and then 50% of just random household bits and pieces. Yes.
0: Okay, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Well, like, I guess you're not going to get 50% vegetables into your dog's bowl um, but that, you know, if you said if it was about vegetable replacement, you're not going to give them. Like I remember we had the conversation about clients of mine who are vegan themselves and then are forcing their dog to be vegan and then like shocked the crap out of me. And I was like, so I spent like half the session just questioning them because it's very hard to tell them that they're wrong and blah, blah, And especially when I'm like, I don't know how wrong I am. I'm going to speak with real first. Um, And we did have the conversation with the food that they were actually giving them. So I took a photo was the best product that you could give if you wanted to feed your dog vegan diet. But I remember you said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that they, from your research or from what you looked at, they could survive on that food, but the dog will never be able to thrive.
2: Yeah. I don't remember that conversation, but it sounds like something I would have.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> and um, I, and yeah. it was something that I said, like, look, uh, if it was my dog, like I wouldn't do it. Look, they've got canines for a reason because they're supposed mm-hmm. to take down animals um, and consume meat and bones um but it was a losing battle actually i think the last session was just with the boyfriend and he was on board i think he was starting to like i think sneakily feed the dog meat um, i think because their treats were like flavored coconut strips and it was killing my life it was very difficult the dog didn't he took one of my treats and he was like yeah i'm listening to panos i'm not getting coconut um, whatever that we're feeding you. Well, it's good for
2: uh, motivation for training if you're giving him like a, a meat-based <laughs> treat.
0: That's true, but like that that surely does sound ridiculous. And how concerning is that to you if anyone's feeding anything vegan, like complete vegan diet to, to their dog? That that has to be bad, right?
2: Well, there's de- definitely downsides. Um, and, look, you know, the brands do vary, but at the end of the day, plant sources of protein, for example, they're not – you know, they don't contain all of the essential amino acids our dog needs or, you know, there's a couple that do, but they're, they've they got what's called limiting amino acids so they can fall quite easily below the requirements of our dogs. So so I, I, I find it quite ironic that people who do feed vegan diets to their dogs normally have like an ethical stance around that and they've got a, a you know, stance on health and being the healthiest they can. But those diets are so... Synthetic, if I can get that out um, at this time of night, it just seems counterintuitive to me that to want optimal health, but then to to get that like they're just yeah. having all these artificial like vitamins and minerals to sort of meet the nutritional requirements of of themselves and their dogs in a lot of cases so yeah i won't maybe that's a topic for another.
0: For sure. And look, we're talking about being rational and not be too emotional. And most people that make those decisions, I believe, are acting emotionally rather than very rationally. So it's very hard to give lots of logic to someone who's being very... I guess a most emotional, but it has to be like anyway. It is a very deep conversation. We can go down a massive rabbit hole. But I thought that was very interesting and worth mentioning. Uh, most people will be like, oh my God, I can't even believe I heard that anyone's even feeding a, um a vegan diet um to a dog because it is surprising when I do mention it. Um but real quickly, maybe I know this is a very deep, deep conversation, maybe it could be a whole podcast in itself, but um maybe if you can give us the top three um th- things that or well, top three. Reasons why diet affects behaviour. Oh,
2: this is huge. Um, oh, diet affects behaviour for so many reasons. Um, where do I start?
0: I guess I can help you by saying you kind of mentioned the first one by saying the omega-3 supplementation for puppies or any dog will help their cognition as they get older. So I guess that's a big takeaway, omega-3 her, um makes a big benefit to behavior neurologically. That's mm. correct.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, I I guess when you asked me, I was thinking like more from a physiological perspective. Like, you know, our dogs have what's called an enteric nervous system that runs along the the length of the gastrointestinal tract. And it's sort of considered our second brain. But what this means is, and it sort of connects the enteric nervous system, connects the digestive system to the central nervous system. So when we feed our dogs or when we eat, you know, anything that comes in is triggering or sending messages to the enteric nervous system, which is then sending messages to the brain, which is the central nervous system, which is affecting our emotional state. So that's at a real, like, base physiological level. And then, you know, we've also got what's called the gut-associated lymphoid tissue which is like you know how you hear all the time oh you know 80% of the immune system is in the gut well that's the gut-associated lymphoid tissue that runs along the gastrointestinal tract so again anything that's coming in through the diet is directly because our gut lining is only one cell thick and on the other side of that is our immune system like mm-hmm. because that's the first line of defense for anything that's coming into the body that shouldn't be there so anything that's coming in through the diet um, and if there's a leaky gut situation, you know, especially that's triggering the immune system. And whenever the immune system is triggered, if that, you know, persists, you get systemic inflammation. And I guess I'm thinking in a way that's going to affect how a dog feels, um, which is automatically going to affect how a dog behaves. But then, yeah, there's there's reasons why protein, you know, certain types of protein, certain types of carbohydrates, certain types of fats will all in some way, um, which we won't have time to talk about tonight can absolutely influence behavior. The diet affects the microbiome and there's lots of research, you know, that gut brain access, you know, what happens to our gut microbiome can absolutely impact mental health and behavior, well-documented in humans um, and studies starting to come out in animals as well. So yeah, lots of different angles and wasn't expecting that question. It's like it's a massive to- topic, massive.
0: And I would, and we Honestly, are going to get to we'll do
1: another, we'll do a whole another episode
0: on that maybe next time. Nero. <laughs> I think so, but I think it's important to at least mention it today because I know that sometimes I may forget. I'm a little bit more aware, but I don't say I don't think I'm all the way there. Is that you, you are what you eat, and when you eat a certain way, you are going to feel a certain way. When you feel a certain way, you think differently. When you think differently, you act differently, and you know, all everything to do about conditioning and. And, you know, behavior modification is about helping a dog feel a certain way so that every process after that is the behavior that we see. And even if we just try to change the way a dog thinks, that's probably not enough. You need to change their belief system. But that's like from a psychological perspective. But on a physiological perspective, if you're feeding him shit, giving him not good, like not giving him the best fuel, so then how are you going to expect any Mm. massive changes in, in their reactivity, aggression, you know, anxiety issues when you, when their base is mush and it should be solid. So I think it's something that people should be considering if you're listening this far into the episode today is, you know, heaps of advice that you've been giving to us. And and it's not like do one thing. I guess my point was consider looking more into it and and making some changes in your dog's diet. You may very well see an actual, not just in his health, but in his, in the, I'll say his mental health, the way he actually feels and thinks and acts. And I think that's, really powerful, that could definitely be another episode that that we could get you on for. Um, Yeah.
2: Actually, in my seminars, there's a quote by, um, his name's Roger Mugford. He's, a, I think, a UK animal psychologist. And the quote is, when we are considering how a dog is behaving, we should really be considering what is inside the stomach. And Mm. I love that. He he wrote it in, like, 1987. And I I always think, oh, my gosh, that was so forward-thinking. For back then, because even in the human health space, they weren't really strong on that connection between gut health and mental health. I mean, we are now, we're all over it. Like, there's nutritional psychiatry, there's a whole sort of field of research, and there's like the whole food mood connection, you know, term. But he thought that for dogs way back then. And um, now we're, it's coming to fruition. Like, now we're, the science is backing up, you know, what he said a long time ago.
0: That's so cool. Panda, it's always been amazing having you on. Thank you so much for for coming on the show tonight. Thank you for staying up late for us.
2: Yeah, it is. It's funny. It is past, well, almost past my bedtime. <laughs> my,
0: well, you're a champion. We really yeah. appreciate it. And m- uh, many of our listeners are definitely going to benefit from it. I, I, I'm, ass- I'm assured by that.
2: I hope so. I hope that your listeners got something out of it that they could potentially do differently to improve the quality of life of their dog.
1: Where can they find your products, Norel?
2: Canine Ceuticals, Um The website is au, And we'll if- put a
1: link in the show notes.
2: Yeah, because the spelling some people so that will be great and um and then people if you've got any questions email me at info at i'm more than happy to guide people in what products might be the most suited for their dogs
0: and also your podcast again
2: natural health for people and pets
0: the best if you haven't heard enough of glenn
1: already on canine paradigm you can go and listen to him on there as well
2: yeah give him a plug too absolutely
0: <laughs> It's so cool because we had him as our last guest, so we've done your whole family now.
2: Oh, good! So listeners are already well familiar with Glenn.
0: Exactly. Thanks so much again, Narelle, and um, you have a great night and happy New Year again. And I hope this year is bigger and better than even last year, and I'm sure it will be.
2: I'm sure it will be for all of us. Thanks, guys.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life with Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips, and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training, my website, NPdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches.
1: Thanks for listening guys. My name is Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K I Z U N A, I'm also on Instagram at kizunak9training. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.